You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of life. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett. And you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we interview great sporting coaches to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this show is Paul Gustard. Paul is head coach at Harlequins Rugby Club in the United Kingdom. In a 10-year career, he played more than 150 premiership games in the English Rugby Union League for Leicester Tigers, London Irish and Saracens. He started his coaching career in 2009 at his old club Saracens, coaching the backs and forwards and helping them to win the premiership in 2013, 2015 and 2016. In 2016, they won the European Championship. He was then appointed the England defence coach under Eddie Jones, where more success followed. Two Six Nations titles, one Grand Slam and a series win for the first time in Australia. Paul is a structured and organised coach who is able to zoom in and think about the present and at the same time zoom out and think about the future. The key highlights of the discussion for me were balancing the intensity versus the density of training, creating a lead by example group, not a leadership group, and using round tables for team meetings. We hope you enjoy this interview with Paul Gustard. The Great Coaches Podcast. Paul Gustard, welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you, Paul. Good to be on here. Good to be on here. 
And I can see that you're fresh from the training track. Could you just tell our, uh, our listeners where you are in the world and what you've been up to for the last few hours? So I am based in Surrey. Um, I'm currently head coach of Harlequins and we play at the Stoop and Twickenham, but we train down in Guildford. So we are in our delightful uh, cube here, which is an old squash court converted into offices. We are socially distanced. Uh, all staff are operating in different parts of the building and uh, I'd like to be able to talk to you guys. Well, Paul, thank you for carving out some time for us. I'd like to start by talking about some of the great coaches you have experience with. Jeff Proben, Eddie Jones, and Alan Gaffney, to name just a few. What is it you think the great coaches do differently? It's a, it's a great question when you phrase it like that, to be fair. I, I, think, I think what sets some of them apart, if we, if we start with Eddie, because everyone gets it, you know, Eddie's, Eddie's in the public eye and, and he's a great orator and speaks really well. But, but I, think, I think one thing that Eddie does better than anybody is he, he trusts his eye and he trusts his instinct. Um, he, knows, he knows what it is that he wants. And when he sees it, he's able to, he's able to capture that moment, freeze frame it. So he's very good with his intuition. Um, he knows what it is he's specifically looking for when he's coaching. So if you're coaching, for example, attack, which is what, which is what he was doing with England for a period of time, uh, and there's multiple things you can look for in the game of rugby, he, he goes in with a specific um, area of attack to look at. Now, so it might be about taking the ball square, for example. It's not about the shape. It's not about the structure. It's about the skill that he's looking for to try and coach. And he coaches that really, really hard. So that would be one thing on the field practically that he's narrows his focus into looking at some minutiae detail about what he wants to try and get out of that session. So absolute clarity. Second thing based on that is he is very, very clear about what he wants, very, very clear about what he expects and very, very clear with the staff about the standards that he looks at. So from that point of view, you've got a very clear picture about um, what you would expect to do as a coach and as a player with Open Freddy. And then the final thing I think that he does better than anybody else I've ever come across in coaching is ask the question why. Um, he asks it a lot and um, you know, he challenges people a lot and, and he, makes you, he makes you reflect hard on your own coaching, uh, makes you question your process a lot. And without a doubt, I think anyone that's been around Eddie and worked with Eddie uh, will all feel um, that they've developed as a coach. And, and he makes you look at the game and makes you look at coaching as a profession uh, and not just someone that's been in a sport as a player moves into the sport because it's all they know. He makes you think, think about how your pedagogy is, what modalities you look to, how do you expand your mind, uh, big into growth mindset, big into critical reflection. And as I said, that question why, um, he must ask 50, 60 times a day. Paul, you're, you've been at the coaching game now for 10 years and you're slowly building forward. You know, you had that great uh, time with England when you were the defence coach. But if I was to sort of stand back now and say, how would you describe your own coaching philosophy that you've got and implementing at Harlequins? Uh, look, I, th I think the most important thing as, as a coach is to be adaptable. Um, you know, my, I started my coaching journey uh, with another great coach, Brendan Venter at, uh, at Saracens. And I was uh, fundamentally, actually, I was a skills coach with Eddie at Saracens prior to becoming the defensive forwards coach at Saracens. And the team was very successful, which afforded me the opportunity to, to, to get the privilege to coach with Eddie again in England. Um, but each group has something slightly different, moving from Saracens to England to, to Harlequins. And, you know, moving into a international sport where you have less time with them you have different players from different philosophies and principles that they play at their clubs trying to align them all into one commonality 
is a different coaching challenge than having somebody for, I was coaching at South for seven seasons by then or eight seasons by then. So there was a continuity and an understanding about the language that I used, the, the, the outcomes that I wanted and uh, the training way uh, that we applied. England then became different because the amount of time we had, um, had to be more adaptable, um, had to change the way that I, I did certain things, um, had to recognize the landscape of international sports faster, um, it's, it's, there's more change, there's bigger gaps between competitions, there's more, more time for, for playing squads to change, for playing styles to change. And then I moved back to Harlequins, which have a, a different DNA as a club. You know, Saracens is based around defence and Harlequins is always based around attack. So it, it's trying to embrace the DNA of the club, respect the history of the club, the heritage of the club, uh, and also trying to instill some of the things that I think are important um, as, as a team to be successful. So adaptability certainly certainly hugely important. I think the next um, thing that you need to have as a coach or, or, or to lead a group of people is, is, as I mentioned around Eddie, is to have absolute clarity about what it is that you want. You know, if, if you can articulate clearly, succinctly, and accurately uh, with what is expected, um, then, then you go a long way to, to getting what it is that you want from each member of staff and each player. So being able to define clearly what the higher purpose is, what the identity of the team is, and how you go about achieving that through your processes. So those are those be the two main things. And then actually practicing as a coach. I think the one thing that, I, that I'm getting better and better at and something that I stay true to is um, to be creative and innovative. So, so to keep trying to stretch and stimulate and, and inspire. That'd be one side of it. And then the other thing is, which goes hand in hand with creativity and inspiration and motivation is uh, insistence and consistency. Uh, so we have a big slogan, it's actually not in this room here, it's the one next door. And it just says consistent and insistent. So consistent with the, with the messaging. So that, that again, there's no, there's no wriggle room, there's no soft language. It's very clear for a player to understand. And then insistent on the standard and insistent on that's the level that we expect in training and our performance. So those are the kind of key things that jump out of my mind. Paul, could I talk about innovation for a minute, if I could, because you started your coaching career at Saracens, you know, the club you spent a lot of time with, playing with in 2009. And when you left, they said your legacy had been seismic. I think that was the exact word that was used. And, and it was because of the introduction of the Wolfpack defence, and that would be the lasting legacy. We have a lot of uh, listeners that are not familiar with rugby. But I was wondering if you could just try to describe this Wolfpack defence and how it works for the um, for the uninitiated. Yeah, well, I think obviously with the with the audience probably not necessarily all being rugby people. Then I'll not go into the specifics of what it what it actually is, but rather the meaning behind it. So probably everyone would be familiar with Rudyard Kipling and, and the strength of the pack is the wolf and the strength of the, the wolf is the pack. And, and it was kind of came out quite organically in the meeting initially, really. We were talking about defending and having a, having a soul, having a life, having an energy and, and hunting together as a pack. And when I did it, a couple of the players let out a wolf whistle. It was, it was quite an upbeat meeting. It was quite vibey and it was, there was a lot of energy and a lot of flow in the room. So I kind of played on that and then we started you know, in, in meetings talking about hunting as wolves. And, and I think within three days, our T-shirts knocked up with Raised by Wolves, uh, all the branding and the imagery around defense when I was presenting things on, on my deck of slides and so on was always around a wolf. I'd, I did awards based on things from Teen Wolf from, from different films where I was getting dressed up as things. And I just, I just, tried, to, I just tried to give something a life outside of the sport. So there was something there that the players belonged to that was bigger than the actual aspect of the game. So in this instance, it was defense, but it could have been anything, but it was just the point that you were part of something, you were part of something bigger than the actual aspect of the game. So that was the idea really, it was just to try and 
give give something an identity. That's probably the least fashionable part of the game. And over, you know, as really really kind words obviously said about me, but but over a period of time, it became such a such a confidence and and such a um, reassurance for the team that the defence was so strong um, that they could rely on it. And, and it came off the back of just being a bit different and just thinking outside the box a little bit. We had two live wolves come in to, to try and illustrate a point. Um, we had different things in a time with snakes in and, and bits and pieces, but the kind of walls resonated and, and it stuck with them. And you now see around the around the ground there at Saracens, they've got a Wolfpack bar, they sell merchandise around Wolfpack and, and unfortunately I don't get any commission, but it's um, it's quite nice to see that that kind of ethos and, and um, DNA uh, is now so t- tightly woven and ingrained in the club that all their success is based off the back of their efforts and, and a bit of guidance from me. Oh, that's a great story, Paul. And, and, and of course, that launched you into the English team. So it was a, it was a wonderful initiative. I wanted to just take a step back if I could. And, you know, you talked about um, Harlequin's uh, all about attack and Saracen's all about def- defence. And But how do you, as a coach, when you come into a new environment, how do you balance that respecting the, the tradition of the past, but also pushing pushing the team forward and innovating? I imagine that would not be easy. Yeah, look, it, it, it's a challenge. You know, you, you, you have to change behaviour, obviously. You know, that the, there's, there's habits of, of how a team trains. Uh, you know, when you're new, guy coming in you've got an opportunity because generally when you go into an environment um, in, in the capacity that I am as a, as a head of an organization then generally something something's gone wrong or something's not quite working out uh, and they feel that it's maybe easier to change one person than it is to change 45 players mm-hmm. and that's probably why I had the opportunity and so there was certainly people receptive receptive to early ideas you know your early early take on uh, the early adapters if you like um, and then as time goes on, you know, people naturally are predisposed a certain way. And, um, you know, there's things that we're still trying to change and, and, and still working hard at. But, but I think, as I said, it's, it's important to, to, to respect the fact that Harlequins aren't trying to be um, Saracens version two, you know, because we're never going to catch up with Saracens on the, on the trajectory that they're on um, with, uh, with their playing style and how many years they've been doing, how ingrained they are with the consistency of their squad. We're a team that's currently rebuilding a little bit. You know, we've had some lean years. We are in our first final in, in four years. Um, and, and, you know, last year we were in our first semi-final and we just narrowly missed out on the playoffs and we've been a bit yo-yo this season with a lot of injuries and so on. But, um, you know, we, we're starting to develop a really good group of young men. And uh, I think they believe in believe in the club, believe in what we're trying to achieve and are determined to, to put things right, you know, determined to try and put the best foot forward and create their own memories and their own legacies uh, for Harlequins in the future. Paul, if there was a coach listening and they're moving into an environment similar to the one you took over, you're in rebuild phase, there hasn't been a satisfaction with the performance of the club and they want to change. What would be the advice you'd give them on the things they should do first? I think, I think the first thing is set yourself out a roadmap. You know, like I, I made some mistakes for sure. Obviously when I came in, I, I wanted to change the world in, in a day. Uh, or yesterday even, and I, I probably did too much and too much change too fast. So I think really identify the two or three things that you wanted to fix. We, we, we kind of highlight five things when I came in, and the one was around defense, one was around set piece, uh, one was around um, standards of training, you know, how hard we train, how intense training is. So I, I think as a, as a sport, you, you either have intensity or density. I want to be more intense and less dense. 
and then the two other things were more more i suppose i say superficial things but more uh, less less tangible things in terms of having fun and enjoyment and uh, and also making sure that we that we respected an identity so the fun and enjoyment is, is i think is part people enjoy doing what they do and enjoy coming to the environment that they're in in, in any capacity and work you're more likely to be able to achieve and it wasn't that we want to come here and just muck around and joke around, but it was to try and enjoy spending time with each other's company. It was enjoy having positive conversations with each other, learning about each other, learning about our families, learning about histories, learning about our backgrounds, learning what motivates us. Uh, and then likewise, being able to make sure that we can, we can have fun doing it as well. You know, there's certainly some social activities, but a lot of them was meant to be around positive interaction with people. Uh, and as one of the things we want to do is obviously in life is become better human beings. The more the more we aspire to do that, then I'm sure that they're not going to affect we better rugby players, better coaches and so on. So that was kind of our big driver. But but I think if you can really be clear about what it is that you want to, that you want to change, um, listen, you know, you've got one mouth and two ears for a reason. And I think if you can listen and take some feedback when you go into the environment, what's been said is that as there been a review and an audit or something done differently that you can maybe take some information from uh, what due diligence can you do to try and find out some more um, embrace embracing people that you think are going to be key for you and that could be either through challenge or support uh, but you want to make sure that people are on board with you and it's not necessarily has to be completely uh, co-creation because you need to you need to be clear about what it is that you want but I think you need to embrace some key drivers in the group and key influences in the group um, when you're moving into to change an organization how have you gone uh, engaging with those key influences? Has it been successful or has it been a bit bumpy at times? I think, I think it's always bumpy, you know, in, you know, in, in any industry or any sport, um, you know, results, results can fluctuate. And when results fluctuate, it, it puts pressure and different types of pressure on people. And people respond differently to different things. And that's when you're looking for people to stay true to the course, um, you know, have their sail point in the same direction as you are. And, you know, it's not, always been perfect and I've not always been perfect you know I, I make mistakes and get things wrong and, and you know for that I always have to hold my hands up and, and apologize and work on and reflect and get better um, but but I, I think I think we're getting into a place now where we're more consistent with with our approach when we win or lose that, that we're kind of more reflective and understanding and try and really work out the critical two or three reasons that we can fix uh, things that we can kind of even build on more make more of a super strength um, to that end this year we, we, we went around things slightly differently we willing to share of course we, we created what we call a lead by example group kind of take away the word leadership a little bit i think that's a, it's a title that gets given probably too easily um but i think people can be example setters and and set certain standards and and, and be demanding of certain things that are important um so we're a lead by example group which was voted for um by the players um we divide the group into three different bands of age so there's a there's a cross section across the group and um, you know we have a group of 12 players now that we can call upon and every kind of week we meet in the circle uh, where there's no head of the table no no head of a head of the group and and we share we check in with our feelings uh, we check in with our commitments and then we check in with um, what we want to what we want to achieve and then finally once we kick it around and, and discuss two or three things within it we check out and see how we feel again and um, what it is that we want to take moving forward and what the actionable steps are and I think I think from that now we're talking more about drivers and influences rather than like a leadership group. These are people here that are meant to help help drive the standard, help drive the message, help drive the game plan, and and I think we're working more effectively as a unit like that. Oh, it's a fascinating story, Paul. Hearing you get the place to talk about their feelings. I mean, particularly during COVID, I think it's uh, it's something that is very underrated, and it sounds wonderful what you're doing, but. 
Can I pick up on something you said just at the start of that answer? You said leadership gets given away too easily. I'm really intrigued to, to just hear a bit more about what you mean. I suppose that, I suppose, you know, the word, the word itself isn't entitled, you know, you know, what, what, what makes leadership, you know, I, th- I think leadership is something that's earned. And I think it's somebody that you, 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 you need to respect um, as a, as a, as a position and you have to be willing to, willing to accept and willing to want it. You know, I, I think sometimes leadership or positions of, of stature or hierarchy are often given because of time or experience, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they qualify under terms of leadership. So when, when we did this lead by example group, the idea was more that we gave the criteria that, that you had to, had to vote for. So it was more based on, you know, how competitive they are, uh, what's, their, what's their training standard like, uh, what's their will to win, um, you know, what's their passion for the sport, do they love the sport, do they have a passion for the club. It, w- it wasn't necessarily based on how many times they've played for the team or, or how long they've been in the club. It was more based around their, their day in, day out, day out attitude and behavior around people and how much they could influence because as soon as you as soon as you sit in a, a seat like I sit in I can influence people either positively or negatively and sometimes I'm as I said before I'm willing to have my hands up and think you know I've got things wrong and and, and you know, probably a negative influence when I, when I didn't mean to um, but I but I think that you know the more that you understand that the, you, the power of your word and the power of your body language and your actions can influence people then it's important that you try and get the right people that are going to have a positive influence on the rest of the group and bring us with us. Because, you know, I, I certainly can't do it all by myself. Um, the coach can't all do it all. We have to have a kind of top to bottom and bottom to top. Don't necessarily like, like, like that language, but, but you understand what I mean. It's yeah. not just given by me. It's not just driven by the bottom of the, of, of the youngest kids. It's, it's, it's everyone's in it together. And, and the more people we have that are going to lead by example through action, and have more positive influences amongst the group, then I, then I think we'll get where we want to get to faster. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment. You can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You've actually said, Paul, I read where you, you talked about um, your biggest coaching challenge is to stay positive and to not focus on mistakes and to have this next job mentality. And that that was the most important thing to have in the role. How have you coached the players to deal with their own self-doubt and their own lack of positivity uh, at, at, at Harlequins? Well, I, I think we, we, we talk about it a lot. You know, there's, there's, you know, we had a pretty pretty honest, reflective meeting today. You know, we, we, we lost, um, you know, a, a poor performance since that day just gone. 
um, you know, we gifted points away and, and we got humbled at home and we were the first first rugby team to have a crowd uh, back in in front of our own supporters. I'm looking forward to seeing us play. And obviously the burden of that can, can weigh heavy on people in terms of, you know, we felt like we let, we've let people down and it's important that we understand where we are as a group, um, you know, where, where, what our aspirations, our ambitions are for the remainder of the season. And in there, I think part of, part of being positive is you, you have to embrace the negative or you have to embrace the reality and I think today we had a really carthetic kind of meeting again where we spoke about our feelings we spoke about how 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 the result affected us how the performance affected us and what we wanted to do to, to, to move forward both as a, a coaching group and, and as a playing group and I don't think you can always just be you know um, put, put a cherry on top of the cake and say everything's all right I think we, we are, you have to you have to reflect and you have to show and illustrate the standard that you said you, you, you want, you know, the, the standing that you walk past is the one you're willing to accept. And if we if we if we accept mediocrity, then we can only expect mediocrity on a Saturday. So it's important that we went through that process. But once that's done, um, you know, what's done is done as I say, or what you did yesterday um, is only a failure if you don't learn from it. And it's important then we take the lessons that we've got from it and make sure we have see a positive response in terms of our process. Uh, in terms of how we train, how we apply ourselves, and then also more importantly, in terms of our mindset that we that we that we have to take on the next thing. You know, the, the whistle starts again up for us on seven forty-five on Wednesday night. It starts at mils each. It starts at zero zero. It doesn't start ten points down or ten points up. And it's uh, I've, I've used the story before, but it's um, it's a story about King Sisyphus who who got punished. Um, for being deceitful, basically. And his burden uh, by Zeus was to push this giant boulder up a hill. And then every day and every night, the boulder would roll back down to the bottom of the hill again. And next day, King Sisyphus had to push the boulder back up again. And that's life. You know, that's sport. Every every day we start again. Every day the sun shines, you get up. Uh, maybe it doesn't sunshine so much in England, but it, it's meant to. Um, and we, we, we have to get going again. And every time we play, every time we train, we have to start again. We have to get our bodies going. We have to find a way to perform. We have to find a way to apply ourselves. And we have to start pushing that ball up the hill again. And, and it's if we feel sorry for ourselves, if we look outward, not inward, if if we have a negative um, outlook on things, then we're not going to be able to perform because we perform within ourselves. We perform with fear of failure. And it's important that the players and, and the staff as well project positive images and, 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 and try and move forward because we're not the only team that struggle from time to time. Um, but but the badge that we wear um, it can, can weigh heavy on some people because it's a it's a historic club, it's a famous club, and there's a responsibility to perform with this. And certainly where we are, you know, I'm, I'm not happy with where we are, um, and I've got to, I've got to improve myself as well, of course. Well, let's uh, let's talk about more successful times then, <laughs> because you were part of Leicester when they won four championships in five years, which is an amazing period of sustained success. How do great coaches get this kind of success without their teams becoming complacent or, as you said earlier, having a sense of entitlement? Look, I think, I think when I look back at the, the last time, I think one thing that was very clear was the, the culture was very strong. Um, and the, the best example I can give you is, like I, I played for England a couple of times, but I, I wasn't a regular player. I played a couple of times in two non-cap games. I played England and that kind of stuff. But I never quite uh, played the highest level for the same period of time. Was, was, was more a Premiership player. So, what was really intriguing for me is the guys like Martin Johnson, who's um, you know won the World Cup for England. Um, we, had, we had you know six or seven key England players that were at Leicester at the time. And what was very noticeable is that they came back to training, having played a test match on a Saturday, 
I'd been away from her wife and her family for, for maybe six, seven, eight weeks, coming back on the Monday and fronting up and training. You know, Leicester's training at the time was very physical, very hard. And these boys would come back from an international and, and they'd front up and Martin would be at the front of it. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of stories around Leicester and how hard they trained and the fighting and training and all the rest of it. So I don't need to go through that, but it was more the mindset that the, the club meant something to them. And the, the, the attitude to come back and train and give back to the club was important. And that came from the, from the lead by example group or their leadership group or the captain of the team by how hard they trained. So there was definitely a, a really strong culture there. Um, you know, people understood what it meant to be to be a Leicester Tiger. And, you know, I think for probably 10, 15 years that they had that prior to, prior to sort of Saracens, I guess, emerging uh, following a period from Wasps uh, to be the most dominant team uh, over the last 10 years. So, you know, the culture, the people in building, the clarity about what it is, that who you are, why you do what you do. Um, as I said, you know, understanding the why is, is, is important. Everyone's got a what, uh, everyone will have a how, but understand the why is, is probably the most important thing to get right. Actually, just talking about culture, Paul, you became the defence coach for England in late 2015. And then you go on this amazing run. 2016, 2017, you win the Six Nations. Um, there's some other victories in there as well. There may have been a victory over Australia. I'm not sure about that. Um, I have to consult my notes. Um, what, was you, what was so unique about that team's culture in that period that just drove those results and that success? Well, look, I, again, a bit similar, really. I, I joined in 2016 Six Nations, so that was after the 2015 World Cup where England didn't get out of the group, um, which was obviously disappointing. We're a whole nation and we didn't get out of the group stages, so that was disappointing. So there was change, you know. The RFU change brought Eddie in. And, um, you know, like Eddie, I remember Eddie ringing me up on a, on a, on a Wednesday. And I missed his call a couple of times during the day and um, I apologised over like a, an hour period and I apologised um, because, you know, Eddie, Eddie likes to, to respond as quickly as he would. And uh, I said, you know, we, we, we caught up for a little bit and I said, look, I'm really sorry I missed your calls, mate, but my little boy needed me, needed his nappy changing. And he was like, well, now, now, now your country needs you. And, and, are you, are you willing to do which is a pretty decent line to throw out somebody you know so I kind of took it on you know as, as, as it is with Eddie he's very clear about what he wants that he got 48 hours make your mind up and, and, and that was it really I, I, I tossed and turned around the idea but I came into a group that was had absolute clarity Eddie said from day one we want to win the World Cup there was no no hiding behind anything there was no this is where we're at we've got good enough players we can do this we've got to believe in it he told the players at day one we're going to win the world cup who wants to be in the journey this is what's going to take this is how we get there and i, I think we had a group that felt inspired um you know they felt that you know training was different they'd been for a period of uh, four years or so with with you know a, a group that had coached well and very good coaches that have gone on to you know really wonderful things over in ireland um but but actually just it was just a change and i think the players following the the kind of humiliation, really, of not getting out of the group stages in the Home World Cup, we're, we're ready for it, and we're ready for the fight and ready for the challenge. And we got a little bit lucky against Scotland, game one, and we ended up eking out like a 12-9 win on the road. And then we go to game two, and again, Eddie being Eddie, um, uh, came out in the press that we're going over to give um, Italy a spanking and um, put a bit of pressure on defence coach, but we won by 50 points. And, and, and we, got, we got some momentum, and then we ended up equaling the world record number of wins with New Zealand, uh, which included two Six Nations, a Grand Slam, first ever series win against Australia, um, you know, first ever win down in down in Brisbane, 
um, you know, and it was just just a just a brilliant time to be involved and um, contribute and take part and learn and, and get better and meet people and meet you know be inspired by people and, and learn, learn other things. And I think I think that was the that was the biggest thing for me was the the, the amount of clarity given and the, the the purpose that what we were there to do was to to make England proud um, was to was to win the World Cup. And then, you know, absolute understanding to the players that we're going to work on these three things, um, you know, fitness, uh, a couple of other things I'll not mention, but but trying, but trying to work on our fitness and play a more structured game to keep up with the likes of New Zealand who were the pace setters at the time. So I think, I think, I think that was, that was it, you know, that the training was, was hard. It was physical. It was abrasive. Um, it was intense. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't reinvented the wheel of what you do. It was just given real clarity and demanding of the standard that, that, that it would take to win a test match. We were lucky enough to to interview Eddie Jones, and it was a wide ranging interview. But we also talked to him about the psychologist that was in use, the Australian lady Corinne Reed, and just how impactful she had been on on his style. But I'm wondering, did you take anything away from watching Corinne work that you folded into your own coaching now as a result? Well, actually, she, she I, I left. Uh, in 2008, she joined after I left. I left for the opportunity to come to Harlequins. I'd, um, fortunately, I had a, a family setback uh, and my cousin lost a baby. So I kind of left to, to get back close towards home. So it was a, you know, a, a personal decision. So I missed out on the, the kind of final year run into the World Cup, really. Um, so I, I never got to work with Corinne. But there, certainly we had three different psychologists uh, with England over that time, all different styles, all different ways of doing things. And... Like always, I think you have to be open to, to, to listening and learning about different things and, and different ideas and different processes and different ways to motivate and inspire and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think I've taken some of that. Um, at the club now, you know, all this kind of circle work I spoke about, we've employed a man called Craig White, who was used to be a high-performance um, director for, for Wales, for Wasps when they were dominant. Uh, he's done the Lions. Um, he's, he's in Bolton Wanderers, a football team over here in England. Um, he's, he's to Georgia at the World Cup just gone and he's, he's just a sorry Uruguay the, the, the World Cup just gone and he's actually just got a different journey himself he's got a spiritual journey about um, human interaction and, and you know how we can get to know each other better and develop stronger interpersonal relationship which fundamentally will give us trust from a place of trust you get safety from safety hopefully you get stronger performances so we're, we're using him in a slightly different different um, landscape to what he's done previously I think I think again it's, it's being open to different ideas and different ways of trying to elicit the same kind of response I um, was reading about 2018 actually when you when you came back to Harlequins and there was you know you were in the press saying the team wasn't competitive enough and you were very vocal competitiveness needed to improve and I was was wondering, was there any particular um, training approach that you implemented to try and lift the level of competitiveness or drive within the team? Yeah, we did. We look, I, mean, I think the first thing was we, we kind of boldly put on what it, what it is the identity of the team was. And, and one of the words we used was hard. And it was to be hard to be, to be hard in contact areas and so on. So we kind of tried and weave it into our style, which was fast. So we also have fast as one of our keywords. So being very clear about our identity and we, we review ourselves against ourselves, against these key two things. And fast and hard can mean different things to us, but it's, it's the, the, the base of it is very clear for the players about what it is we're expecting because they're kind of non-negotiable, non-talent actions. 
and, and you know, we have an expression about TNT's dynamite and it takes no talent. And I, I think that those kind of areas there are very critical to us. So that was that was certainly something. And, and you know, I, I think in our first season, we were unbelievably competitive. We had more more bonus points than anybody else in the competition. Um, There's only two games. I think we didn't get something from the game. And then maybe three in the league. And we got to the semi-final of the European Cup. Um, we just narrowly missed out in the top four. Um, you know, it was the first semi-final the team had been in for a period of time. We started the season off pretty well, and then we had a, you know, a, I don't know, a, like a catastrophic run of injuries, unfortunately, and the team got disrupted, and we had two or three heavy defeats, and, and we kind of just lost our rhythm a little bit, and we're just yo-yoing and we're inconsistent. When we're competitive and function, we're competitive, and then it's like two steps forward, one step back, or even one step forward, two steps back at times. And we're trying, we're trying to, we're trying to work with the group and, and seeing how we can get that response. But year one, certainly, and 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 and. and the appropriate times this season. Uh, I think what we try to do is create one-on-one contests, uh, create contests in the gym, try, create contests in terms of quizzes um, where people have uh, opportunities to compete. Um, if you want people to be more competitive, you've got to create an environment where competition is primary um, and, and also very binary. It's me v you or, or you two v those two. Uh, so create little little drills where the spotlight's on them. Uh, and then wider scope and things where perhaps you create stuff in your sport um, where, you, where you create a one-shot chance. You know, in, in any sport on a, on, on a game at the weekend or midweek, you get one chance to execute. And if you don't, there's no second chance. You know, like we, we, we made 200 mistakes at the weekend and uh, butchered three or four strong scoring opportunities. We just don't get that opportunity again. That game doesn't come back again. We won't play Bath again. And, in, um, in, in September 2020, you know, that's it done. And, and, and we lost because we made too many mistakes. And that's that's the kind of element in training I think you need where they understand the pressure and the consequence that everything you do on the field, just like you do in life, everything has a consequence and it can either be a positive consequence or a negative consequence that will impact either the performance of the team or more than likely the energy of the team. And, and that's, that's kind of where, where we're at the moment. Paul, you said in an interview recently, I like challenging myself. I'm curious to see how good I could be. And so I was wondering, how did you spend your extra time in COVID to develop yourself as a coach? Was there anything interesting you found or resources that you uh, engaged with? Oh, loads of things, really. You know, I, I was I was very dis- I think the first thing is, uh, you know, learn, learn, as I said, from, from Eddie um, and working with Eddie in terms of of managing your time like I think time management when you're in a club routine and things as a rugby player as a professional player and then into professional groups of coaching as a junior coach I kind of follow the program obviously in this situation now I'm setting a program but one thing I learned when I was with England is I had a lot of time in camp when I was very structured I knew what I had to do then I Side that I'm all now I can improve how I reflect, how I view and watch, and so on. So, I think for, for me, the first thing is I create structure, I create structure in my time. I identified three things I wanted me to, myself to work on, and three things for the, for the staff. First one was um, tactical development, so like how to improve our style of play, how to improve our logistics and operations department, how to medically improve our processes, and so on. And then there was personal development, how to improve myself, you know, how to, how, what areas of it of my coaching of my management do I need to improve and then the third thing was interpersonal skills and, and, and communication so once I once I was clear about what it is that I wanted to achieve in, in that block which at the time we didn't really know how long it was going to go on for but but I was very, very clear that I looked for things that would help me develop my personal objectives 
helped me develop my communication skills and interpersonal skills, and then who we could speak to around tactical developments and who, who, who could we lean on and what could we watch to try and develop our game. So that was the kind of journey we went on. Um, did a lot of reading, uh, which was which was nice. I don't often get the opportunity to read. I, I live quite far away from where we train, so I'm off in the car for three and a half hours, four hours. So normally it's podcasts. Um, I, I got onto Blinkist and, and listened to books, then try and get one that I enjoy, then I try and read it. I spoke to a lot of people, did a lot of Zoom webinars, learning opportunities, uh, spoke with a few, did some stuff with England football, uh, spoke to a few England football coaches, um, that kind of thing really, you know, but it was, it was, it was all based off the back of uh, clarity about what it is I was trying to achieve. And Paul, you've been very generous with your time. So just one last question, if we could. And I know that you're still very young as a coach and you're still moving forward, but already there's a lot of momentum and energy in your career. And so I'd like to ask you, uh, what's the legacy that you want to leave as you, as you move through as a coach? That's a good question. Um, look, I, I think, I think the first thing is though, I want to have a, a positive influence or impact on people's careers. Uh, and that, that can be in my, my current role as a, as a head coach can be on um, everybody. So that's medical, uh, strength and conditioning, athletic performance and players. Are, and, and positive impact might mean that it's, it's, it takes some tough conversations for them to get there and, and they might not always like me for it, but hopefully respect for the fact that I've got their interests at heart in terms of improving them uh, for the betterment. So from an individual point of view, a legacy I'd like people to think is, look, he's a, he's a good coach. Um, he understands what it is he's trying to achieve, and and, he, and he's helped me. You know, I'm not I'm not here to be universally liked or the most popular person in the room. I'm here to I'm here to try and help the team perform. I'm here to give clarity and direction about what we want. And I think the best thing people could say is that I was fair, um, that I was you know almost relentlessly fair, um, but but very very firm, and gave them clarity and that I had a positive impact on their on their career and their life. What a wonderful phrase to finish on, relentlessly fair. Um, Paul, thank you very much for your time today. It's been excellent listening to you speak. Good luck for Wednesday night. And I look forward to seeing your career progress and one day seeing you coach England in a losing test against Australia. I've played Australia five times as a coach, mate, every single one. <laughs> well, let's hope <laughs> that trend doesn't continue. <laughs> No, I know. No. I actually spoke to Scott Wisemantle, who used to coach England. He's now coaching uh, Australia. And uh, I'm looking forward to catching up with him over a bit. Man, Sarah's getting on. Well, thank you very much, Paul. And uh, we look forward to chatting to you soon. Take care. Cheers, guys. The Great Coaches Podcast. I think that anyone listening to our discussion with Paul Gustard will agree that not just English rugby, the game of rugby itself is in great hands with coaches and leaders like him moving the game forward. What stood out most for me were his views on the importance of innovation and creativity to your own development as a coach. And for wanting to be remembered as a coach who is relentlessly fair is something that we can all take lessons from. Coming up next on the Great Coaches podcast, we speak with Tracy Menzies-Stegbauer. Tracy is an elite swimming coach who has influenced some of Australia's most talented swimmers, such as Olympians Craig Stevens, Kai Hurst, and Kirsten Thompson. However, she is most known for coaching five-time Olympic champion Ian Thorpe, Australia's most successful Olympian until his retirement in 2006. Tracy speaks warmly and honestly about her career as a coach and the moments she spent on the pool deck guiding young talent in a truly golden era of Australian swimming. 
in every one of us there's gifts and I think half the time we're so in tune to looking to what everything like social media how we were saying about phones that the world looks so perfect through so many different lenses and so many different eyes that we seem to forget to be able to look in the mirror and go what is it that I truly bring to well, to the pool deck or to my family or to my friends every day and I think we we're so hard on ourselves that we we forget to actually stop and relish and be gratified, like take the gratification of what we have actually achieved. So like my own kids, I'm always like, make sure you say thankful, be grateful for the teachers that you have in your life, be grateful for the people you have. And I think teaching that sense of gratification takes you a long way. And just before we go, if you have any feedback on any of our Great Coaches episodes or you know a great coach who has a unique story to share, we'd love to hear from you. You'll find our contact details in the show notes. Mm -hmm.